Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Incero, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak with Tim Groniger, the CEO of Caravan Health, about what comes next for accountable care organizations as the United States adjusts to endemic phase of COVID-19. We discuss financing and policy and what is needed to achieve CMS's goal of furthering the shift to ACOs by 2030. Groniger, former Chief of Staff and Director of Delivery System Reform at CMS in the Obama administration, also discusses the company's recent acquisition by Signify Health. Well, welcome to Manage Carecast. We really enjoy uh, this opportunity to speak with you today. Thanks for having me. Can you just introduce yourself, Tim, and explain your role at Caravan Health and a little bit about your background? Sure. My name is Tim Groniger. I'm the CEO of Caravan Health. Uh, we are a company that serves doctors and hospitals all around the country in value-based care contracts, particularly the Medicare Shared Savings Program. Our clients uh, are in particular community hospitals and their affiliated physician practices, uh, and they have been able to uh, generate consistent savings for the Medicare program and to uh, to capture some of those shared savings to fund their investments in enhanced primary care. They've done extraordinarily well in improving quality measures, bringing up vaccination rates, reaching patients who need extra services through care management supports. Um, and so we, we're, we're very proud of what our clients have been able to do in the program. My background personally, I came to Caravan after a stint, uh, a long stint in the government, a variety of uh, chairs in the government, starting on the Hill, working to support passage of the Affordable Care Act, going to the White House and CMS, where I uh, helped lead a number of efforts to drive forward payment reform activities. So bundled payment programs at the Innovation Center, uh, new ACO-like programs at the Innovation Center and CMS, uh, you know, Medicare Shared Savings Program, Mainship, uh, as well as uh, prescription drug uh, cost uh, reduction activities at the time. So a year and a half ago, we were talking about someday there would be the end of the pandemic. And even a year ago, we were thinking, about the end of the pandemic. And in the past few weeks, as the level of illness and death have started to drop off somewhat, I've seen in the news more discussion about reaching an endemic phase. How can accountable care organizations operate in this environment and make risk adjustment going forward when it seems like there's still so much uncertainty? So I think there's a couple of key points to pull out of this. One is that I think it's really important to separate value-based care from an effective public health response and emergency response capacity because they're not the same thing. There, there's been a tendency to look and and say, well, some some models had uh, you know a, a better cash position last spring or two springs ago than others did because the providers were under capitated contracts. That was that was basically an accident of uh, of cash flow and financing. It was a, a happy coincidence for those for those providers and those models, but that's not what they were designed for. But so we need to have really effective and quick moving emergency authorities to support providers and to support their ability to take care of patients in, in truly emergency situations like we saw early on. Um, however, because a number of uh, providers have been in value-based programs like ours and like other CMS initiatives, 
they had built up a set of capabilities that were very, uh, very ready to be turned towards population management during a, a very long pandemic crisis and, as you say now, in an endemic situation. Uh, and that's really what the, the core population health is. It's taking care of your patients even when they aren't uh, coming in front of you uh, in the office on a given uh, on any given day. It's your, your CHF patients who you need to check in with to make sure that they aren't spiraling out of control. Uh, you, the, managing that through the pandemic, providers who had started and invested in uh, primary care staff had invested in the technology and tools that would able, enable them to take care of their patients when they weren't square in front of them had an, had an, uh, an head start. And so we had, we had clients who were able to, uh, to quickly reach out to all of their sickest patients in the you know, early and middle phases of the pandemic and make sure that they had the support and the services that they need. They were able to quickly turn their care management staff to support uh, parking lot operations, essentially, uh, and to, to minimize in-person, indoors contact wherever possible. Uh, and, and through all this, we, we had clients who were able to, uh, to keep their sickest and highest risk patients out of the emergency room where they, they would be exposed to infection. And so um, it's not that, I would never say that value-based care is the solution to a public health emergency like this, but the muscles that were built up in these programs have been useful when needed to pivot and flexibly respond to, uh, to a crisis. What other support isn't happening right now that organizations need from the current administration? Well, there, there's a whole range of, of requests that we could put uh, on the administration. And, and I, I don't want to do a laundry list for you. Um, but I, I do think that there, you know, if we're just talking about value-based care here, because the administration has very clearly communicated that their priorities are around healthcare affordability, around prescription drugs, and in an efficient management of the pandemic. Now, they've also communicated that they want to see all Medicare beneficiaries in a accountable care relationship by 2030, which I think is a very important goal. And as we think about what Medicare patients need and what they're not getting when they're in the, the, the original Medicare fee-for-service unmanaged part of the program, uh, they've said the same thing, uh, almost the same thing about Medicaid patients, that they want them, the majority of them in uh, a managed accountable relationship by 2030. Um, and so when, when we're thinking about what they need to do to get there, I think that CMS needs to take a, a comprehensive look at the at the the wedge or the the, the benefits that a, a marginal provider sees from being in a value based program versus what they see if they are staying in pure unmanaged fee for service. And for many providers, that they've they've really taken hold of these new programs as a way to capture downstream savings to 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 manage their patients better and to fund investments in the type of care that they want to deliver. So that's more uh, more staff time in the primary care office. That's more tools. That's uh, partner support with a company like Caravan. Um, and they've, they've been able to be successful in doing that because they've found ways to run primary care more efficiently. Um, CMS needs to be thinking about move, and I know that they are, thinking about what's going to bring more and more providers into that type of model. Um, and right now we have a situation where um, we've got confusing mismatched incentives uh, coming out of the Medicare payment systems where the MIPS program looks more attractive than certain parts of the uh, rewards for joining an advanced APM. Um, Congress is aware they might do something about it later this year, they might not, but um, to, to, to really get to all Medicare beneficiaries in an, in an accountable relationship by 2030, we need to significantly improve the, the value proposition for providers 
uh, of being in an ACO or other type of uh, alternative arrangement versus being in, in basic fee-for-service because right now the wedge isn't, uh, for, for many providers, it's not enough there. Uh, I think that there are, there are there continue to be a lot of providers who want to invest in this and, and make the business work, but CMS has, has the job of making everyone go in that they've set for themselves and they have a lot to do to get that done. Do you think efforts or movements to streamline payment models would help? In this regard, so uh, I think that there's a couple of years ago this was a, a big debate. I think that there are plenty of opportunities for aligning programs and for rationalizing where we have model conflicts and model overlap. Um, at this point, I think that CMS and most other stakeholders in this conversation, like MedPAC uh, and you know academic uh, contributors have recognized that accountable care organizations are the leading horse by far um, and have looked at how to organize the, the other set of models around that. Um, and that includes uh, total cost of care, or that includes episode, episodes of care models and how can episodes of care models nest within ACOs and how can they drive specialist improvement for patients who aren't attributed to an ACO. Um, that's one of, the, uh, one of the things that I'm most excited about of our uh, acquisition by Signify uh, that we announced last week of we are going to be able to really jump in and bring uh, a much greater set of services and value-based uh, innovations to our clients who have specialists that they're working with, uh, specialists who haven't been served well uh, by ACOs historically to date that have been very primary care focused. I was going to ask you about that a little bit towards the end, but we can go to that now. Um, yeah, after we uh, set up this interview, the acquisition of Caravan was announced by you and Signify Health. Can you describe more about what that will do, especially around vulnerable populations? Because I know that you manage a certain number of federally qualified health centers, correct? Yes, absolutely. And so, so we serve a, a number, you know, 90% of our clients are safety net providers in some form or fashion. Uh, community health systems, federally qualified health centers, uh, affiliated physician practices, and so uh, we, we do have a strong safety net focus. Um, what we are, what we're excited about with the Signify uh, acquisition is uh, a real complementarity in what they are able to bring and to what we are doing for our clients right now. So we have a really strong primary care program. We've been able to deliver a lot of uh, successes with our clients in uh, building out the basics and the, the, the core programs around prevention, around care management. Um, we have been we've been steadily ex extending our reaches to post acute care management, uh, but working with Signify, we'll be able to uh, you know rather than plus two or plus three on on that for uh, for any given year, we'll be able to plus that up by ten or by twenty uh, in relative scales here. They, they have an incredible post acute care management capability. They have extensive experience uh, managing episodes of care business through bundled care, bundled payment. Uh, programs with CMS and commercial payers, uh, we'll be able to work with them to uh, bring support to Medicare Advantage and Medicaid contracts for our clients. Um, this is all, uh, there, there's a lot that we can do together that would have, uh, that, that we did not uh, deliver for most of our clients right now. So uh, I'm very excited about our opportunities there. Uh, and that, to your point about vulnerable patients, um, the, those are the patients who need the most extra attention in any of these programs. Um, we are going to, uh, over time, uh, be able to tap into their in-home care capabilities where they, they have a 10,000 strong 
physician and nurse practitioner network that is able to see patients in their homes. Um, and they have a, a number of programs that are uh, very useful in total cost of care models that, that help manage the sickest patients and help deal with any social issues that are driving uh, their excess healthcare utilization, help close medication gaps, uh, a, a number of initiatives that are going to be uh, really important for the, the patients that are served by our clients. Along those lines, do you think the pandemic is forcing or pushing some organizations to think more closely about aligning risk adjustment and quality measures for some of these populations? You know, sometimes I've read about how these things sometimes exist in silos for some organizations. And if you bring them closer together, there would be better outcomes. Um, you know, I, I'm probably not the going to speculate about how Medicare Advantage plans view that at this point, but I, I always think of, uh, you know, from a what we're trying to accomplish perspective, we quality measures set standards around what we expect providers in these programs to do. Uh, risk adjustment is an attempt to uh, level the playing field where we have some expectation of what expected costs for a given patient panel are going to be. And if we're wrong uh, about, uh, about the expected costs because patients are sicker or healthier than otherwise, then risk adjustment is supposed to mostly make patient providers whole on that. Um, from a workflow perspective, it will often make sense to deal with quality gaps and risk uh, documentation gaps at the same time. Uh, but when you think about what the, the programs are trying to accomplish and what the, what the um, you know the provider implications are, they can be very uh, can be very different. They they don't have to be. They aren't the same thing. Are there things that we should be measuring that we're not measuring at this moment for these populations? One thing I thought of, and I don't know if I'm off base here, but if preventable preventable COVID nineteen deaths are defined as deaths that happen in people who did not get a vaccination, if organizations were held accountable for that, would that be helpful? Or given the political context that vaccines now live in, would that be too disruptive? Well, I, I'm in favor of uh, strong outcome measures for uh, for every important, uh, you know, uh, for for a discrete set of very important uh, patient outcomes, right? So um, we can't we can't ask for reporting on the hundred metrics that we care about because we would sort of we would overwhelm providers participating in the program. But we can and and do to an extent, but I, th I think we can do better. Right now we have strong quality metrics around primary care processes in the program. There have been some efforts to hone those down to uh, a few metrics that are uh, that are more that are most central in driving downstream outcomes like hypertension. Uh, and management of hemoglobin A1C. Um, I think that that's the right direction. There are some operational pieces to get to. Uh, I do think that there are there are opportunities uh, outside of the COVID space even of um, ACOs manage total cost of care, uh, but there are no standards around how patients uh, experiencing specialist episodes in ACOs uh, do. Uh, and I think CMS needs to begin looking at, uh, and I know that they, they, they're thinking hard about the future of the bundles program, um, but why don't we hold ACOs responsible for, uh, for certain common surgical outcomes, for example. Um, and I think I would also, there's been a lot of discussion around how to capture the right data to do this, but I would also support um, reporting data 
uh, by, by race of patient uh, so that we understand where our care gaps are for, uh, for, different, uh, for different groups of patients, in particular patients who have been historically disadvantaged. Um, it's something that, you know, we, we try to report on that at, at an aggregate and government level where possible, but uh, there, there are some new standards, some, some ability to, uh, to have that reported by providers. It's not going to be quick or easy to get that done, but given the urgency that's being put on health equity considerations right now, I do think that that is an important uh, next step for CMS to get to. Well, thank you very much for joining the conversation with us. It was great to have you. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Take care. Bye. For all of us at AJMC, thanks for listening. To learn more about these issues, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.